pray. Amen. Amen. You can open up your Bible with me here this morning, the book of John, chapter 14. If you'd find that, we are going to be launching into a new series here this morning that we'll be on here for the next uh, few weeks. We're going to just see kind of where the Lord takes us in this series. But we're going to be talking about the battle for truth. The battle for truth. We're living in a time where it seems like we as a culture, and I throw all of us into this boat, that there is this tension that is happening in our culture today over what is truth. And let me just back up to something that happened to Tammy and I here a few months ago, just to kind of set the tone. I already knew the Lord wanted me to dive into this. And a couple months ago, I was so excited about diving into this series. And Tammy and I, we, we're moviegoers. You know, our thing, our date nights is usually dinner and a movie. Of course, now that we live here, of course, we live here in Enid. Now we're in this time where we don't have a theater. So with, bless God, would somebody build a nice theater in Enid? I promise you, if you build a theater, I will come. <laughs> build it right over here if you'd like. I mean, that'd be cool. But anyway, Tame and I, we, we went and, uh, you know, we've watched a lot of movies. And so we went and watched the, Nor- the new Thor movie. As we sat through the movie, I was appalled at just the messages and just everything just from part. And to be honest with you, it was one of those movies I should have got up and walked out of, but the side of me kept saying, no, it can't get any worse than this. Is this really happening? And it just, and I want to be honest with you, I left that movie so angry, so angry at the culture that we had become. And I wanted to jump on social media and just lash out and just, rah. And I knew better than to react to a situation, especially on social media. You don't, listen, if you don't get anything out of this message, don't react on social media to this stuff. You'll regret it. Um, I'm part of a couple of different pastoral networks and, uh, I began to express just a few days later in this network call about my anger about what was going on. And just some, if you haven't seen the movie, don't waste your money, okay? It's anti-God in every facet and every form, very dark, very demonic. It's just all anti-God, just take my word for it. Um, But I began to share my anger And then, um, thank God for some people in my life that began to speak some truth into me. And they began to share with me, says, listen, we got to be careful as Christians that we don't react the way the world reacts. Because the world has a way they react to things, especially in our culture. We're living in the days the cancel culture has become such a part of us that we, on one hand, we make fun of it. We belittle it. We can't understand why people will cancel somebody. But yet we turn around and do the very same thing to somebody who doesn't believe the way we think. And I know that's not the answer. And so this series that we're diving in today, the battle for truth, is something that has stirred in me. It's something that I know the Lord wants me to speak. And I've been on a journey for the last couple months going from a place I am so excited to dive into this to this place now my heart is breaking because of this. Because I know this is a real problem in our world today. It's a real problem what's going on in our culture today. And this is what breaks my heart. I can put names 
to people who deal with some of this stuff. And they're names of people that I hold dear to my life. And so my ambition to stand up and rah is not that. My ambition is to bring love to the scene. Before I dive into this, let me just read this, what our stance of a church is when it comes to cultural issues, just to set the tone for this, okay? World Harvest Church offers an open door to anyone wishing to attend services and functions without respect to person, to gender, to race, to religion, or sexual orientation. However, we will not compromise the biblical worldview and we will preach what scripture says about cultural issues. All are welcome, but we will still speak the truth of the scriptures. We love people. We don't condone sin. We also recognize that we walk, we, we are all a work in progress and that no one is perfect or will, or will act perfect 100% of the time. With that said, we also hold the value that the greater the level of leadership, the more spiritual maturity that is required, which includes living a lifestyle that has evidence of a Christ-centered life. That's our stance here as a church because, see, it seems like we're living in a time where we have lost the, the idea of absolute truth. Many are basing their lives today upon really opinions and basically upon what they perceive to be true. And truth has become something that is hard to find with all the noise that's going on in the world today. And, but see, we got to understand something that absolute truth is what grounds us and what guides us and directs us, especially in times of uncertainty. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad when I get in my car that there are absolute truths that we all abide by. You know, as we're flying down the interstate at whatever speed you drive, you know, those of you that are speed limit drivers, bless you. But let's say we're all speed limit drivers here today. You know, how is it that we can jump and our cars that weigh, you know, whatever, 5,000 pounds and we can be flying 70 miles an hour down the road. We can meet another car going 70 miles an hour when we don't even flinch. We don't even worry about it. Why? Because we're all living by the absolute truth when it says that you don't cross this line. You drive here. You do this. You do that. I don't know about you, but I'm alive today because other people believe in absolute truth. So we see this in our world. There's so many areas of our life that we live by absolute truths. Yet why, when it comes to morality in our life, do we say, well, absolute truth does not apply? So we live in a culture that disdains absolute truth, that actually makes fun of absolute truth, and they replace it with the popular uh, thought pattern, you know, to follow your own feelings. If it feels good, do it. It reminds me of the scripture that says, every man's ways are right in his own eyes. See, we live in a time where every individual is encouraged to define truth for themselves and there's tremendous pressure put on our society to accept each person and their perspective of truth. And again, let me just say, we love everybody. We love you here today. It's the whole idea of what's true and not true that so many struggle with. See, as Christians, are we so confident? Are, are we confident in what the absolute truth is? Are we confident in what we know is true? Are we equipped to answer the sincere questions that comes our way? And let me tell you, many are asking the questions today. So this series is about us, about us understanding what truth really is and why we can trust the truth that we know. And so I want us to look here at John chapter 14. This is the night before Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus is finishing up at the Last Supper in the upper room with the disciples. Let me just read several verses here. John chapter 14, verse 1, New Living Translation says this. Don't let your hearts be troubled. 
Come on, just let that sink in for just a moment. As I look at my culture and the society around me, I tell you, my heart is sometimes stirred. But don't let your heart be troubled. See, it's trust in God, trust also in me. Verse two, there's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? How many of y'all know this world's not our home? Come on, there, there, there is another place besides this old nasty earth that we're living in. There's a heaven that waits us, amen? And if we know Jesus, when our time comes, we go to be with Jesus in heaven, amen? Verse three, when everything is ready, he said, I'll come and get you and that you will always be with me where I am. Verse four, and you know the way to where I am going. Verse five, no, he's, <laughs> no we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way. Everybody say the way. How can we know the way? Look at verse six. This is where I really wanted to get to. Verse six, Jesus told him, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father. Come on, say it with me. Except Jesus said, he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. See, all of humanity is looking for the life. Every one of us today, we're on a search for living the life, the good life. It's the search that drives us, the, the desire to be safe, the desire to be happy, the desire to be fulfilled, and to be truly satisfied is hardwired into us. We're all on this journey. Of course, the question is, how do we get there? Every one of us, we're searching for something. Now, it's very interesting if we see in the original Script, scripture, the Greek language with which the, Old the New Testament was written in, the Greek word used for truth right there, let me just identify that for just a moment because many times we think that, that, that false is the opposite of true. It's either true or it's either false. But when we look at the scripture where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth, the Greek word used here, it means reality. It means reality. See, it, there, there's a difference between what is real versus what is fake. You know, there was this whole political argument a couple years ago between the real news and the fake news. And I'm going to tell you, if, if we're going to be pursuers of the truth, it's you look in the natural sense, what's true? Dear Lord Jesus. Come on, I remember early on in the ministry, somebody's come in and start complaining about somebody else at church. I'm like, I'm hearing their story and I'm like, oh, are you kidding? Oh, they did that? Oh my, you poor little thing. Oh my goodness, we need, let's call them in here right now. Let's get that correct. And we call them in and it's like, you hear their side of the story. It's like, what? Really? Um, well, you poor little thing. And it's all of a sudden I've learned this. Usually our perception of truth is simply what you heard the last. Where's the truth? What is the truth? Hmm. You know, we think in terms of science, we can get an understanding what truth is, the reality. In other words, reality. You know, when you think about gravity, come on, when you think about gravity, is gravity real? How do we know? You know, we can choose to ignore it. We can cuss at it. We can write a book about how it's false, but you know, gravity doesn't care. It's real and it's absolute. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Amen. Can I tell the story here a few weeks ago, how me and my brother back when I was a little bit of kid, we had just this brilliant idea to play catch with a 16 pound bowling ball on a hard floor. Well, gravity affected that bowling ball to the point when I caught the thing, it hit the ground and the cement underneath and there was nowhere for that, my fingers to give and it just split my little finger wide open from top to bottom. What was that? That was gravity. If you ever tripped and fall, what was that? Was that some random act? No, that was the law of gravity and it is absolute, amen. 
like gravity, I believe that Jesus is real and his way is real and his truth is real. And he is the only one that can give us the life that we're looking for. If life is unfulfilling for you right now, let me tell you what you're missing. You're missing a relationship with Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. See, today, though, many in our culture scoff at Christian beliefs. They make fun of Christian beliefs and the idea that there is a single perspective of absolute truth because there's this mindset that Jesus isn't the way. He's one of many ways, some people will argue. Our culture holds the principle now of not an absolute truth, but holds the principle of relativism. Relativism is, for, for them, truth is what I believe to be right for me. They expect the rest of the world to both accept and affirm their version of the truth. And we'll unpack some of these things here as we go through this series, but it's an important element that we gotta understand is this, that relativism teaches that if I can bring alignment between my actions and my truth, and then I will find fulfillment. But that's not what the scripture tells me. It's not my ways, it's not my truth, it's not that so I become fulfilled. See, relativism is really nothing new. It's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in the very beginning of Genesis chapter three. Genesis chapter three, just to refresh us in this, verse six, it says this, it says that the woman was convinced that she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom to become like God, knowing both good and evil, that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. What happened? What happened? I tell you what happened. There was a truth that was set down by God himself, the creator that created Adam and Eve. But what happened? The enemy come in and began to place the question upon her heart. Did God really say that? Did God really mean that? We're living in a time where culture is battling for our belief in Jesus Christ, that is battling for the gospel message that we hold and embrace dearly to our heart. And the world is still asking when it comes to the things around us in culture, does God really mean that? Did God really say that? We're in a battle for truth today. Hmm. See, while there's nothing new that we're faced today, everything we face today has been taking place for centuries and eons to come. My concern is this. We've been just so sheltered here in the United States of America for so long that the battle is becoming real again in our own backyards, our own doorsteps. The cultural issues we face today, this, man, Paul fought it back in the, old, in the New Testament. It goes clear back to the beginning of time. This concept of taking what we perceive to be true, trying to line it up with our ways and asking God to endorse it. Mm. And something that I just want to give you a terminology here because I truly believe the if you start diving into the validity of the scriptures and the gospel, you're gonna hear this term. If you haven't heard it yet, I want you to hear it from me. But there is this problem that we face today, it's called progressive Christianity. Progressive Christianity. See, there's nothing new, but what is going on is there's a movement among Christians today to incorporate relativism with our Christian beliefs. 
and it's known as progressive Christianity, and it's a gross distortion of the Bible. In fact, let me just throw a resource out to you. If you want to dive deeper into the subject, there's a book that I have been reading that has been absolutely phenomenal. It's called Another Gospel, written by Alyssa Childers. And I would encourage you, if you're a reader, if you want to dive into this more, get that book. Because this is a journey this woman went on through this whole journey here. And see, in essence, progressive Christians, progressive Christianity, use the Christian doctrines of love and grace to give a stamp of approval to their version of morality. See, there, there's a couple of concepts that just, just to help you understand where we're at. There's this whole movement of deconstructing faith. So progressive Christianity uses the term deconstructing faith. And deconstruction is the process of taking apart traditional Christian beliefs and rebuilding them in the image of their truth. The, 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 a progressive Christian, uh, a, a teacher who begins a dialogue with people, introduces doubts and attacks like, did the resurrection really take place? And the, they begin to point out the errancies of the gospel scripture. And I'm going to get in. That's my next week's message, by the way. And then really what is sin? But see, the thing that we got to understand, once we lose value for this, once we lose value for what the Bible tells us, once we lose, or let me rephrase this, once we entertain the thoughts like the enemy t tempted Eve with, did God really say that? Once we begin to question this, then we have no absolute ground to stand on. Bottom line, you can peel back all this. Do you really believe the scriptures? Do you really believe what the word tells us? And see what is going on in our culture today that instead of Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, we're living our own version of the truth, living our own ways, and expecting experience life. But see, we got to be people that we don't take God and form him into our truth, but we take our life and let God mold us into his truth. Anybody else with me here at World Harvest Church today? So progressive theology, progressive Christianity is basically the unfolding of their understanding of the relationship between God and man. And let me just say this. We all, we have all experienced progressive revelation, okay? Progressive revelation is the more we get to know God, the more experiences that we have with him, the better we understand him, all right? It's kind of like a pastor friend of mine. He for years, he preached that the Holy Spirit was not alive any longer, but something happened. He got filled with the Holy Spirit and everything that he taught. He suddenly had a new revelation, so he started preaching. The Holy Spirit was alive and well, and the gifts are still in operation today. That's progressive revelation. We all need a progressive revelation, but we don't need a progressive theology. Okay? See, progressive theology, on the other hand, it changes what we believe about God. See, in short, the God of the Old Testament was mean. I've heard that before. Jesus came to show love, and now 2,000 years later, we understand love even better. So now we feel progressive Christianity, progressive theology, now tries to define the, the, the scriptures to fit the morality of today. That's an error. Scripture warns us of these teachings. Look at a couple of scriptures real quickly. 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says this. It says, but there were also false prophets in Israel. You can go back in history and read that. Just as there were also false teachers among you. Listen to this. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought, them, who, brought, who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destructions upon themselves. Verse two, many will follow their evil teachings and shameful immorality. And because of these teachings, 
the way of truth will be slandered. If I begin to question the divine entity of Jesus Christ and what he did for me, if I begin to believe the lie that he was just a good person, let me tell you, my foundation begins to be cracked and unstable. Colossians chapter two says this, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, verse 10. So you also are complete through your union with Christ who is the head over every ruler and authority. See, so what we're dealing with here today in our culture is nothing new, it's nothing. And it's just, Paul knew it was coming, the scripture tell us it was coming. What's true? Come on, I, how, how many of you know, just because a preacher can preach and can sound good doesn't mean everything he's saying is true. Come on, I, I tell you, we get carried away with a shout and the hoop and woo. We, you know, come on, there's some people like, you know, they're high, they, can, they can hype you up, but just because they can hype you up doesn't mean what they're saying is true. What is true? What is true? So let me just give you one point here real quickly here. You may wanna, it's, it's in your notes there. Jesus is the source of absolute truth and scripture is our absolute frame for his truth. Let me say that again. Jesus is the source of the absolute truth and scripture is our absolute frame for his truth. How many of y'all love Jesus here today? Come on, let me hear you today. Yeah. But let me ask you a question. Let me just kind of play the progressive theologist. Is Jesus the son of God? How do you know? Don't, you don't have, I'm not looking for an answer. I'm not believing. Don't believe it. I just want to kind of provoke you. How do you know? You know what some people are going to say? Because that's what I was taught. Is that enough to form a foundation in life? Just because you was taught something? No, we got to know ourselves. You got to settle that question in your heart. Is Jesus the Savior? Yeah. Did he really raise from the dead? Everyone, yeah. How do you know? Is the scriptures the inerrant word of God? Some of y'all are like, yeah. Why do I know that? Because somebody told me so. No, come on, we gotta sell these questions in our heart, right? Let's, I want you to look at something here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 because the apostle Paul knew these things would come around, all right? The apostle Paul said this, verse one. Let me read several verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter five, 15, verse one. It says, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news. Come on, everybody say good news. What's the good news? The good news is the gospel. Amen, it's the gospel. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, go into all the world and preach the? Preach the gospel. The good news. He said, I preached to you before. He says, you welcome it within and you still stand firm, on it, firm in it. Verse two, it is the good news that saves you. Come on, how many of y'all have experienced the gospel in your life and you're better for it, amen? It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message that I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. Look at this. Verse three. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Now, before I read the rest of this, let me just identify something here you need to understand. The context with which Paul was writing this, these were the days before cell phones where you could pull up the Bible on your phone, right? You couldn't get on the internet and search the scriptures. In fact, you think about the time 
that the Apostle Paul is writing this, majority of what we know as the Bible wasn't even written yet. It was in the process of being written. During this time, they had the five books of the Old Testament. They had the writings of some of the prophets. But the common man didn't know what the Bible said. In fact, the Bible was a terminology they didn't call it. There was no Bible. So how did you know the scriptures? How did you know? This is why Paul took time and he would write letters to the churches of the time that he's ministered to and he would unpack spiritual principles that he had learned, Paul said himself, from Jesus himself in that. So this is what the early church because like today, get out your Bibles. You know, we all get out our iPads. We get out our phones. Da, 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 and there it is. We live, we're very spoiled. Okay? But during those days, so what they did for everybody to understand, to be on the same page of truth, they developed these creeds, these sayings that they would bring out. Some of y'all might know uh, uh, the Nicene Creed. These are different creeds at the early church just to help people understand this is what we believe. In other words, we take the gospel to sum it up. This is a creed. So Paul, in these next few verses, is getting ready to unpack what we call one of the first creeds that brings a summation to the gospel message, okay? So here, let's, let's pick it up. Verse 3 again, he says, I passed on to you what, most, what is most important and what had also been passed on to me. So in other words, Paul is getting ready to summarize the gospel right here, all right? Let me see, verse two. Verse two, is that where I'm at? Yeah, verse two. He said, it is the good news that say, no, where am I at? Or excuse me, verse three, help me out. My verse three, thank you. I get lost every once in a while. Thank God I got people around me, help me back, right? Verse three, it says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had been passed on to me. Look at this, Christ died for our sins. How many of you are glad Christ died for your sins? Just as scripture said, verse four, he was also buried He's also raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. Verse five, he was seen by Peter, then by the 12. Verse six, after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Verse seven, then he was seen by James, later by all the apostles. Verse eight, last of all, I love this about the apostle Paul, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. What is Paul saying here? See, this statement, this creed is essential for the concept of absolute truth that I'm talking about here today. Basically, it's the statement of faith that Paul gives us. Paul talks about Jesus Christ. He died for our sins. He was buried. And then he resurrected again. Now, let me make a statement here. When I first say this, some of you are going to bristle up on me, but hear me. Our faith doesn't rest on scriptures. It's amazing, those scriptures. Our faith rests up on the fact that Jesus came, that he died, he paid for the price for our sins, and he rose again. That's what everything we base our life upon is what Jesus, who Jesus was and what he did for us. You've got to understand that first and foremost. And Paul, he identifies this here. Think about it. Over 500 people saw Jesus resurrected after the resurrection. He was alive. Hey, let me just tell you something. Jesus just wasn't a good man that died. 
Jesus wasn't just a philosopher who taught good things. Jesus was a man who taught great things, but he paid the price for sin. And listen, this is what sets us apart from all the other religions in the world that my Jesus, who did that for me, he went in the grave. Three days later, man, he defeated death, hell in the grave. He come up out of that grave, bringing life to all then who would believe upon him. Amen. Come on. That, you take that away. You take away our Christian belief. That very fact, everything else that's taught around that thing, that's just the extra stuff. That's just the peripheral stuff. Bottom line, you peel back the layers. Jesus came. He paid the price for sin. But bless God, he paid that price and he come up out of the grave again. Anybody, anybody excited he's alive today? The resurrection. The resurrection. Now, there's this whole mindset that it's a fable. It's a lie that what took place really didn't take place. But think about it for just a moment. Paul, he identifies here in the scripture how all these people saw Jesus Christ after he come up out of the grave. Why do you believe Jesus is alive today? Well, let me tell you, there was many witnesses that saw him alive. Well, what if they was all made up? What if they all got together? You can't get 500 people around to make up the same story. I can guarantee you. Amen. And the thing about it is, if it was a lie, if Jesus really didn't do that for you and I, it would not have stood the test of time. Come on, people believed this. They believed the gospel so much that they literally gave their lives for it. The apostles, you know what happened to them? These guys that started the gospel that we know it? Well, let me tell you what happened to them. According to the traditions, Andrew, Peter's brother, he was crucified on a cross that was X-shaped, hung there for two days. Nathaniel was skinned alive, skinned alive, and then he was crucified. James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded and stabbed by Herod Agrippa. James, son of Alphaeus, was thrown from the top of the temple. Jude was bitten, beaten with a club, and then he was crucified. Matthew was staked to the ground. Simon Peter was crucified upside down on a cross in Rome. And the reason why it's upside down, because he didn't want to be crucified the way Jesus was. Philip was hung upside down with metal hooks through his feet. Simon the Zealot was crucified. Then he was sawn in half. Thomas was speared. Mark was dragged to death. Luke was hung on an olive tree. Uh, Matthias was stoned and beheaded in Jerusalem. Paul was beheaded by Nero. James' brother of Jesus was thrown 100 foot off a wall and beaten. How many of y'all want to be a follower of Christ? Woohoo! These guys gave their very life for what they believed. And we sit here in the United States of America and we begin to crumble under certain, sometimes we get persecuted for what we believe. If Jesus' resurrection was faked, all of these men and the countless other Christians in the early church would not have gone to the death, their death, to uphold a lie. See, the fact is Christianity is not a false religion. <laughs> if it was, it'd been easy to eliminate it's not based upon the writings of some wise prophet or spiritual exercises, practices that we have that today that, we're expressed, that we express in our lives by some elite class. No, Jesus Christ being the way, the truth, and the life, that's who we serve today. And bottom line, it's based upon the incredible truth of the resurrection of Jesus. Let me read you this quote. Christianity, you see, isn't a set of ideas. It isn't a path of spirituality. Isn't it, it it's, isn't a rule of life. It isn't a political agenda. It includes and indeed gives energy to all of those things. But at its very heart, it is something different. It is good news about an event which has happened in the world, an event, an event because of which the world can never be the same again. And those who believe it and live by it will never be the same again. 
Come on, how many of y'all's lives have been changed by the power of Jesus in your life? And here we are, almost over 2,000 years from Jesus' resurrection. Approximately one-third of the world's population, 2.38 billion people, claim to be a Christian today. Now, I am concerned because it seems the numbers are shrinking, but there's a push to deconstruct what we believe. And let me tell you, the tax on Christians is real. The Center for the Study of Global Christianity found this between the years of 2005 and 2015. This is modern times. Listen to this. Some 900,000 Christians were martyred for their faith. 900,000 people died for what they believed. 900,000 people were willing to die and go against their belief in Jesus Christ. 900,000 people. That's one Christian killed every six minutes. Somebody dies for what they believe. Mm. So just to stop us here, the final point, the resurrection is the absolute proof of Jesus' claim that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So what do we do with this? Do we embrace Jesus as the way? Or will we continue to struggle with trying to follow our way or our version of truth? Do we try to mold the scriptures around the way we want to live our life or do we mold our life around the scriptures? Here's the problem that lies here. We're living in a time where the problems that the scriptures addresses, lifestyles are running rampant. This is the reality that many people in our world today who struggle with the things the Bible tells us. And as a pastor, there are people that are struggling with lifestyles that I know the Bible addresses. This is my issue. There are people I love that I hold dear. So I've had to process through this I can't take the scriptures and mold them to make what I believe to be true acceptable. I got to take my life and let God continue to mold me to who he wants me to be through his scriptures. Amen. I want you to stand to your feet with me here today. I want you to just bow your head. Just, I want you to just ask the Lord, what are you speaking to me through this message today? There's so much more that we could dive into here, but this is just a, a portion of where the Lord wants us to go through this. Let me just pray over us. Father, as we come to the close of this service today, there's a tension in our world now, the world around us, There's this tension between the moral center that the scripture so clearly defines versus what the world says is acceptable and true. But Lord, I pray for us as a church that you help us to navigate these times, Lord God. Lord, help us to understand that behind these issues, these cultural hot topics, Lord God, Father, there's a name attached to several of these things. There's, I don't think there's probably 
It'd be very rare if there was a family in this room right now that's hearing my voice that doesn't have somebody that's dealing with a cultural issue. First of all, Lord, help us to love. Help us not to act the way the world acts. Help us to love. Lord, just as importantly, we ask that through our love, that people find the truth of your word, that you minister to each heart. Lord, as we do our part, you'll do your part. And Lord, for those that are here in this room right now, they're dealing with just the questions. For those that the enemy has been just screaming loud in their life, did God really say that? Did God really mean that? Lord, help us to push that stuff aside and to hear you and to walk with you. Help us to be greater lovers of your word. Not just giving it a glance or a read. Lord, help us to embrace it. Your truth. Your truth. Lord, I embrace the thought that your truth is just as real as gravity. We thank you for your truth, Lord God.